Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. She's got the PhD to prove it. It's Dia. He's a renaissance man. It's Mike. No way. It's Jose. He's our favorite leading man. It's Ivan. Is there a doctor in the house? It's Brandon. And your host, Greg Howard Jr. Welcome to This Is Not an Endorsement, a podcast about news, politics, and opinion polls. For instance, according to the U.S. Department of Education, about 130 million adults lack proficiency in literacy above a sixth grade level. These people are more commonly known as do something Twitter. (laughs) The Ghislaine Maxwell trial is currently underway, and for legal reasons, there is not a punchline to this joke. And finally, a homeless man climbed to the top of the Fox News Christmas tree in Manhattan and set it on fire. We are told that Mr. Trump is back at Mar-a-Lago this evening. Um, All right, let's get started. So our first round is called What's the Buzz? Um, In honor of the holiday season, we polled a selection of social media users to find out what they believe are the top three best Christmas songs. And now I will turn it over to the panel. What do we think? All I want for Christmas is you is the only Christmas song. <laughs> I don't know, mine's a little, or... <laughs> my, my, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just throw out my personal favorite because I know it's not on there and I know it's never gonna be mentioned, but it's the Ramones, uh, Merry Christmas, I Don't Wanna Fight Tonight. Uh, that's my absolute favorite Christmas song. It's a good one. <laughs> that is the a solid good, Christmas song. Very solid. The only good Christmas song, and it's not on there either, is Silent Night by The Temptations, which many of us in the Black community call In My Mind. You know, so that... <laughs> in my mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> While we're throwing out ones not on the list, I'll throw in uh, Christmas, Baby, Please Come Home. The U2 version, I think, is, is uh, pretty solid. I came prepared. I, I came prepared with my top five because <laughs> yeah. I'm a little extra like that. So uh, number five is uh, the swingy, jazzy version of Jingle Bells because uh, that little interlude in the middle. Um, where is Mela Kalikimaka? <laughs> that song is amazing. Oh. <laughs> that is good. Um, Rocking around the Christmas tree, Brenda Lee, uh, the Whamageddon, uh last Christmas, and then I have I have all I want for Christmas as as number one because Mariah. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised, um, Dia, that you don't have uh, Step Into Christmas by Elton John on your, on your top five. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, 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 thank you. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, wanna hear, I wanna hear more about this jazzy version of Jingle Bells because as somebody who worked retail in the 90s, there was a version of Jingle Bells that made me wanna kill Santa Claus, but I'd love to hear which... <laughs> Which version of of it you're talking about? It's the one in the middle where they spell it out, where they're like, 
J-I-N-G-L-E, bells, and then they scat. It's it's pretty, it's lively. And they I, know that oh, I know that one. I know that one. Oh, they? Jesus. <laughs> sir, sir. <laughs> In the Christmas spirit. Scatting <laughs> for Christmas, yeah. There you go. <laughs> okay. Got it. There, um, there is a like jazz version of um, "You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch" that plays where I work. That mm-hmm. is absolutely fucking fantastic. I'm I'm gonna throw that out there as my favorite Christmas song of the moment. Speaking um, of which, I'm glad to hear people on Twitter finally realizing that the Grinch. The way the story was told was really fucked up that the Grinch was actually the victim that whole time and everyone in that town should have been aired out like even the love interest was repulsive like it took us many many years but I think we're finally realizing that the Grinch was the real victim. I agree. So I can tell you that based on uh, your answers that all I want for Christmas is you according to the people that we polled is only the number two favorite christmas song oh wow oh wow mm-hmm. oh mm-hmm. i feel well, there's probably a, a, a visceral really response a to that song i think that? people either love it or hate it so mm-hmm. and it's actually tied for number two. Oh. Mm-hmm. um bell rock nope not even top three. Shut up. <laughs> the according to the people that we polled, um, the top three favorite Christmas songs are "Oh Holy Night" with twenty six point three two percent of the vote, mm. tying mm. with "All I Want for Christmas Is You" with twenty one point oh five percent of the vote is this Christmas. Oh, Dunny oh, Hathaway. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Shake a hand, shake a hand. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and the third most popular Christmas song amongst the people that we polled with 15.79% of the vote was Carol of the Bells. Uh, oh. That no I have comment. flashbacks to high school with that song. I have flashbacks to choir. I, <sighs> I mean, I've I personally love Carol of the Bells, but I wouldn't say that it's like top three best Christmas song. Maybe top eleven, maybe. <laughs> I'll I'll give it top eleven. Okay, eleven. I might be aging myself here, but did the, didn't the Sweeney sisters on Saturday Night Live incorporate that into their holiday medley? Yes. Yes, they did. <laughs> then I support that. <laughs> That's fair. So our next poll in What's the Buzz? Uh, we asked a selection of social media users who they felt are the top three LGBTQIA two spirit plus elected officials. Who do we think? Richie Torres, Richie Torres, Richie Torres for personal reasons. <laughs> I hope Lori Light puts on that top three. Uh, all over. Uh, Sharice Davis. Same. 
for, I would for bet. personal reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, final you know one, my personal favorite is Brian Sims, only because I've met him, but I digress. Dia, and Danica, I Danica has the whole metalhead thing going for her. I mean, the, the pictures of her when she came, came out, you know, announced and it was like the revelation that she was in this metal band, like just banging her head. I, I really appreciate that as well. I, I love her so much from a, and if anybody that follows her from a constituent service standpoint, she is like in the weeds, she knows her stuff. And as somebody who's worked in local government forever, like the, she nerds out to the, the, the stuff that nobody really cares about, the non-glamorous issues like fixing highways and stuff like that. And she really gets stuff done. Uh, so I'm hoping she's up there uh, in the top three for that reason. Um, I would bet because of her, uh, national standing tammy baldwin may be up there and i think probably you know all joking aside about richie torres you know which i love richie torres um maybe malcolm kenyatta is in there you know especially with him you know gaining traction in pennsylvania you know going in that primary against you know connor lamb and that other guy that we will not name that looks like shrek um but on maybe him um I know who I wish was on this list, but I don't know if they are LGBTQ, but I, I wish that they were. Who? Um, Mandela Barnes. That's, that's fair. That's fair. That's, mm-hmm. that's a good looking man. Oh, a, a man. Glory. Um, I would. Those running shorts. <laughs> I will tell you, um, this one actually surprised me because the entire, the, the top three is actually six because they were all ties. Ooh. Wow. Um, Interesting. In the number three spot, both with 5.26% of the vote is Lori Lightfoot and Danica Roam. Nice. In the number two spot, with 10.53% of the vote is the gentleman from Pennsylvania, Malcolm Kenyatta and Brian Sims. Mm. Interesting. And number one, with 26.32% of the vote each, Sharice Davids and Tammy Baldwin. Uh-huh. Oh, lesbians on top. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I do no- notice who's not on the list is our bisexual friend. <laughs> <laughs> wig, musty wig. No, musty we should probably city wig. <laughs> we should probably also shout out to our only gay elected governor, Jared Polis, who is not on the list too. Yeah. I I purposely did not include um, the wig lady from Arizona um, <laughs> because the the last time I included I included her in a in a pride video and people lit my ass up about it. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so I, I I left her alone. <laughs> I wish she'd leave us alone. Exactly. <laughs> I I have I get I get the feeling that she's she's about to face like some really ugly primaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Oh yes, her yeah. and some of the squad members. Mm-hmm. 
but we will get to that later because that is one of the questions in the third round. So our second round is called Read All About It. Uh, these are the stories that everyone is talking about this month. Uh, first up, CNN has fired Chris Cuomo after new details emerged about how he helped his brother fight sexual harassment allegations. Um, I would like to pose this question to the panel. Does this... And now with the allegations from Jesse Smollett about Don Lemon, um, does this call into question for you the journalistic integrity of CNN? This is just a chair on the top. <laughs> I mean, this among many other things. <laughs> there's been a lot, a lot, a lot com coming towards this. I think across the board with a lot of like the mainstream media era, a, a big part of the issue comes in with the punditry, not so much the reporting. Like you look at the local reporters, the people who are like slaving away, writing articles, doing like investigating, they're pretty solid and like across the board. It's like the punditry that comes in where people become celebrities yeah. and they get like undue power and they have undue influence on the conversations. That's usually where we see things like start to get shaky especially the people that are not qualified that have not one single degree whatsoever. But however, they are the political director of NBC News and a host of Meet the Press. Don't understand how you have a high school diploma and you have that much power and control over what's going on and who gets to come on your show and talk politics. Um, right. That Chuck man, Todd. <laughs> I think when you, when you make yourself a part of the, when you make yourself a part of the story, that is really where, you know, the line, I mean, there's all the stuff that we we know with the punditry. I think that's a really excellent point. Um, but then to take it that next step where now you're the you're part of the story, that's that's just you know too much. Um, but I also see you know CNN allowing Tubin or Tobin, whatever his name is, yeah. back on after what he did. Um, you know, the, it's just part of the same big trash pile. <laughs> yeah, it exposes all tallywhacker and uh, yeah. And they're banking on people forgetting what happens, forgetting what's happening because they're like, oh, this is a recognizable face, a recognizable name. So if we can get them back on the air and make more money from people who like them, hopefully they don't remember. And to be honest, we do kind of have a goldfish memory problem when it comes to these conversations is people don't remember. And then they tune in because they like that person's face or name and they make more money through it. But are they tuning in? Because I hear ratings are low. Well, somebody's <laughs> tuning in. I don't know who the fuck is watching these goddamn news shows in 2021, but somebody is tuning in to these shows. If it were up to me, turn them all off. All of them. Like, we, we've had enough. We'll go back to the newspaper. We don't need any more cable news. Nothing. Well, and it's I mean, also... When, sorry, if I, if I can chime in for a second. I mean, even Jeff Zucker, when everything went down with the Cuomo's, he had said, uh, in that article that uh, this was a unique circumstance. And what does that mean? You know, the fact that there's a governor and a CNN anchor. Yeah, that makes it a unique circumstance. But I mean, if uh, Chris Cuomo is going to tap his sources to figure out what's going on with the allegations, that's pretty fucked up. You're breaking journalistic standards there. So you got to be let go. You can't just say, oh, you know, this rarely happens and we're going to yes. sit on it for a little bit. It, it doesn't it doesn't really, you know help their case any, you know, not to mention the 12 gallons of milk art um, piece that, you know. <laughs> that I was actually just about to bring that up because it's entirely 
abnormal for a reporter for 17 hours to defend a piece that she wasn't even responsible for. She introed the fucking segment. It was another man's story and yeah. she defended it for 17 hours. Brianna Keller, get your fucking life together, lady. Um, Maybe milk is her life. <laughs> for those of us that are borderline lactose intolerant, I do not appreciate 17 hours of defending no. 12 gallons of milk. Nope. Yeah, I love milk. And even that, that piece made my stomach bubble. And I just couldn't. <laughs> But they that, seem to do that with all the stories. They can't seem to take the L and just move on and pick something else like actually newsworthy to talk about. They continue to double and triple down on these ridiculous stories, especially where VPs involved. Yeah, I was just going to say she didn't she she kept going for 17 hours. She didn't protect her tweets like some little bitch. We <laughs> <laughs> and she also, you know, 12 hours prior to protecting the tweets she also didn't make a blanket statement of everybody should just calm down and relax <laughs> like right. come on sammy like that's the worst thing you can tell people after you piss <clears throat> them off with, yeah. with some bullshit it's a calm down okay now we're about, we're about to really light you up right it's about to really sting you it's hilarious to me though that there were literally people sitting at Sam's account waiting for those tweets to get unlocked. Mm -hmm. It was <laughs> the only joy that I'll find this holiday season is, is that. Um, why, while we're on the subject of journalistic integrity and the fact that the fourth estate is failing this country um wh why what is what is the shift recently um i mean not recently it's in the past year with the previous administration who had a president who literally was telling supporters to kill journalists and this is now how they're acting why? Why do you think that is? Do you think they are? Do you think they miss being abused by Trump? Do like even though the attention was bad, they were getting the attention, and he was saying crazy things, and they can run those crazy stories all day long, and ratings were huge for them. So more ratings, more revenue. Yeah. So I think they are missing that, and they're trying to create this tabloid sensation once again because they, they're missing their revenue and they're missing those eyeballs. Yeah, somebody's watching it, but that's those diehard people that probably just leave CNN on in the background as they go and do other things, you know, or CNN is on in like the gym or the offices or places like that. Um, I just, I think they are, they're scrambling to try to stay relevant. And they, to them, the best way to do that is to make politics like a reality show mm -hmm. which is what it was for four years under donald trump and they missed that um even the lady oh i can't think of her name but she was 
um, April Ryan, you know, April Ryan was going through it with, with the press secretary. Um, the one that looked like the music next man with the cricket face, what's her name? Yes. Um, her, um, Huckabee, Huckabee Sanders. Oh, that one. That one there. Oh, and, and, and murky blur. Oh, <laughs> but she baked that woman a pie. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when she did that, I said, oh, mama's lost. But now she has all the smoke for the vice president because for some reason, some of these black blue check um, journalists get credibility from a certain demographic of people for going after a vice president Kamala Harris or Barack Obama or Sam Biden isn't doing enough. So it's, it's, they're no longer reporting the news. They're being sensationalist and they are turning it into love and politics um, United States 2021, and I'm over it. Mm-hmm. I think another reason is that um, if we remember when Trump used to talk, they would actually fact check Trump live. Um, so I and so people that generated ratings. I, I remember on CNN they had that really fast talking fact checker. I forget his name. Uh, I don't know if he was gay or not, but um, you know uh, the radar was pinging when he would talk. But anyway, I, that's besides the point. So I think people were driving uh, to, the, to tune into those stations because they really wanted to see, you know, what was true, what was not. Uh, and I think what the media has done is misinterpreted that to mean that anytime they're antagonistic with the administration, that it's going to produce ratings. So I think right now they're just manufacturing shit to get mad about. Um, I mean, look at the stories that have come out about our vice president, uh, about our cookware, about, the, about headphones, about saying the versus the. Um, it's like, you know, what are we getting mad at? Um, and then they're wondering why their their ratings are just, you know, plummeting. And they had the same critiques, uh, you know, of Obama before before we had Trump. But it, I feel like it's just, you know, I'm thinking immediately to the tan suit. Um, but now it's just sort of in hyperdrive, you know, because they are, I think they're bored and they are, are also, I, I agree that they're, they're looking for those ratings. But I, I do think they're also just bored. Like this stuff is ridiculous that they're coming up with. Well, and it's, it's, it's interesting to me because, you know, we are 11 months into this administration. And, you know, this time last year, a lot of us were defending members of the press against the former administration you know, when he would say, you know, off with their heads or whatever the fuck it was. Um, so I think they, they thought that, they think that because, you know, we all went to bat for them that they can talk out their ass and we'll still be like, oh, well, somebody threatened your life. So you get a pass. And it's like, no, that's, that's not how this works anymore. And another shift happened after we fully withdrew from Afghanistan mm-hmm. that really set them off. Because guess what? They no longer need correspondents over there to talk about this forever war that was going on since I was an 11th grader <laughs> in high school, you know? <laughs> so that's really when we saw the sharp turn. And then they turned on Biden. But then they are really turning on Harris for whatever reason but it's ridiculous and 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 their their hoods are showing for some of them um but it's they 
like you said, they're bored. They're bored. And those big hot topic stories are no more. If and when the Biden-Harris administration fixes all these issues, like I know once voting rights, once it gets passed, I know that a lot of people's heads are going to explode because guess what? They have nothing else to talk about or to be doom and gloom about anymore. When Bannon goes to jail, you know, or, or, you know, if something were to happen that someone major gets indicted, there's no, then no more doom and gloom that they can cling to and the grip will be over. So part of me thinks that they want to create these chaos situations and create these stories so that things won't get done so people can continue to feel that they're relevant but when the stuff actually gets accomplished they're no longer relevant no more eyeballs no more money and then you may have to create only fans like um cuomo may have to since he mm-hmm. his his book deal got nixed i think uh, what's interesting with these platforms these stations is i think a lot of it does kind of reflect what people value uh, like in america as a whole so when we see this disproportionate like targeting of, of, of certain people, like we can look at what was going on in the Trump admin and there was a lot of stuff to cover and a lot of bullshit being thrown around. But at the end of the day, there was a lot of people that were invested in seeing the media check what he was saying. And then when you look at uh, uh, politicians like Kamala Harris or, or Barack Obama, you have to kind of face that underlying reality that there's a lot of people that are looking for reasons to not like them even if it is a tan suit or chewing gum or eating hot sauce or whatever it is, they, and I don't even know if they make the connection of why I would, I feel like I'd be giving them too much credit if they understood the connection why, even though they should, but they are understanding that there is engagement when they talk about Kamala Harris, there is engagement when they talk about Barack Obama or Donald Trump. So they're like, okay, we just got to take these names and we need to go after them, but no one's taking a step back and being like, hey, why are we laying this level of scrutiny for these people, but then not the same level of scrutiny for these other people? And why are we just going after the clicks and the profit? I mean, I think they understand that, but at the end of the day, what is that doing to the discourse? Because when you're just constantly hammering someone as being unprofessional, even though the level of scrutiny is not given to everyone, you're starting to change the narrative about whether or not this person is unprofessional and they're perpetuating the issue because they're not facing it. Like they're ignoring the problem and then they're perpetuating the racism and misogyny that go along with it. And we also have to think about who's own, who owns these networks or who are these directors of these networks. People say the liberal media, the liberal media, the liberal media. Well, I think that has been misconstrued. Um, many of these networks are owned by very wealthy, um, older white men <laughs> or <laughs> white families. And they tend to skew which direction? Conservative. So these tropes that they're putting out about people being, um, a certain individual being unprofessional and 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 rude and disrespectful those are common tropes that they use to label black people black women or like if they have attitude problems or are just mean and and just ain't the angry black woman those are tropes that they've used for decades centuries um so these individuals these networks are owned by these same individuals who are fearful of what will happen to this country in this world if or when Kamala Harris ascends to the presidency? Mm-hmm. If they thought that that the shift ha- happened with Barack Obama becoming president, imagine if a woman and a woman of color becomes president. Think about how many heads will explode. 
mm-hmm. and and think about how that's going to upset the the dynamics and think about how many more people are going to be inspired by that it was it was bad enough that young black boys were inspired by barack obama and saying you know what i can be president too but young black girls and young indian girls being inspired and saying hey i can become president too that's really going to cause an issue and they want to keep a hold on their on their good boys network um and i see that conservative media is trying to create this narrative to try to undercut her um from eventually being successful in the presidential run and it's not just the conservative side is that the the progressives i don't call them progressives i call them the progressives um the bernie sanders clicks those individuals I, i just they don't want they don't want to see a woman of color become president because guess what that's going to undercut and undermine their whole grift as well it's all coming back to money and power and racism yeah yeah. (laughs) and it's unfortunate how successful that the these these uh narratives actually are especially you know undermining um barack obama or kamala harris where now you can just talk to people out and about about these different politicians and there is this just unfounded hatred towards these people and you try to get under the surface of it and it's kind of just these random phrases and talking points of just like oh her record and I'm like well you know what about her record nothing like under underneath it there's there's just nothing else there and or or Barack (laughs) Obama he's like he destroyed the the country he's like he or he's a he's a war criminal I'm like can you expand on that where's your nothing so it's it's, it really is driving a lot of the conversation unfortunately it is successful in in the sense of it does mischaracterize a lot of what what they've done and what they what they do and it does it does hurt the progress forward in that area too yeah and the media's fixation on on promoting those thoughts and and keeping them out there in the in the blogosphere and, and, and on TV and everything else has real world consequences. I mean, look at the Virginia race. I mean, everybody wants to talk that that was the doom and gloom of, of the 2021 election cycle. It was just one, but still it's worth noting that they were able to latch on to a couple of catchphrases about critical race theory or whatever was going to scare suburban white women to vote for that nut, those two nuts that got elected to governor and lieutenant governor so i mean the media's responsibility to not continue promoting this bullshit narratives uh is is it's dangerous i mean people are it's going to be dangerous for some folks in virginia for the next four years because of that irresponsibility in in, in my opinion well and the co- entire conversation is set back i mean we've had people yep. literally come out and say that their entire intention with crt was to misconstrue the conversation yeah and was mm-hmm. to make it this boogeyman and they were completely successful with it now the entire conversation anytime you acknowledge a black person a native person in a history book that's crt anytime you tell someone not to be racist that's the anytime you try to teach empathy to a child about how other races expect that's crt now and now everything is this big boogeyman and they were successful in setting mm-hmm. back the conversation Social emotional learning was labeled CRT. CRT, yeah, <laughs> everything is CRT. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's, it's I, I will say that they're they're taking. You know, I'm not I'm not dismissing. You know, the the critical race theory conversation, what they've done, and co-opted a term that's in the long line of what the Republicans and the right do. You know, fake news originally 
was something we were saying about troll farms that were manufacturing articles. Right. And, you know, we're like, hey, that's fake news. That's fake news. And then they just took it and ran with it. And now it's become mm-hmm. something different. I feel the same way about critical race theory. But I did see an article tonight where um, they're using the model of the critical race theory to do critical, I think it was energy theory um, to combat, like on the right to combat uh, um, climate change initiatives and, you know, stuff to try to do clean energy. And that is, um, I think it was an ALEC funded group. I think the Koch brothers are involved. So we're just going to plop critical in front of things now and then (laughs) automatically turn off a whole party. And, and mm-hmm. just one more thing about this critical race thing is that, you know, I'm in Florida. I work for a university that I will not name, um, who is in the news right now because they made, you know, one of our professors take the word critical race. He, he taught a specialty, critical race, ethnicity, and gender studies. They made him take critical and race out of it. But, you know, come up with a different title. You can have ethnicity, yeah. you can have gender. And so, the, you know, this is trickling down into, you know, academia where they right. where critical race theory is actually taught not in elementary schools but in colleges so you know what they're doing they're doing it well and and I, I i don't know how we combat that but that situation perfectly wraps up the entire issue is that it's like oh we'll just take critical and race out because people have a visceral reaction to those words they have no understanding why they're reacting to those words so it's like we're gonna you know just take those words out and hopefully people will calm down well that just shows how much people understand, you know, because you can't just relabel like a trig class to be like calculus and people are going to be like, oh yeah, I'm ready for it. Like you can't just do that. So it's like, you know, that if they're just changing the label of the name that pe- they know that people don't fully understand it. And it's just m- muddying the entire discourse. So it's, it's almost like, it, you know, I, I talk a lot about, the, it feels like sometimes there's this whole list of phrases that I have to like tiptoe around now because if I say them it gets such a reaction in the other person that they shut down critical race theory is one of those it's not like I was using that all the time I'm not a huge academic but like intersectionality is one that I can't use that word because people will shut down or feminism or racism or racist I have to use like implicit bias I have to use like implicit bias is my favorite one but that's only going to last so long because people hear it and they shut down they don't they don't want to hear anything else they've heard everything they need to know they don't want to engage in the conversation they're done I am going to change the name of this show to Critical Podcast Theory, um, <laughs> and you know I'm gonna I'm gonna shop it to Fox News and see what happens. Um, so, at some point, be it you know us as people who are actively involved in the 24-hour news cycle or even some of these elected officials. Um, Do you think at some point we're going to have to just balls to the wall to some of these reporters and some of these news organizations about the, you know, their doom and gloom that it's straight up like voter suppression tactics? Yeah, it's it's depressing because I don't know what options we really have i mean for as long as i can remember and granted like i'm not you know i'm not 65 i don't know i haven't i haven't been alive very but for as long as i can remember it's all been negative everything i don't appreciate what you're implying it's been yeah it's been (laughs) um everything in the news cycle has been completely dark and negative i don't remember a time where it was like 
you know, a good healthy mix of like negative and positive stories. It's all been very nationalized and very negative. It's been the end of the world constantly. So maybe, and I bring that up only because I, as people get older and grow up in that news cycle, and I feel like it's probably been like that even before I can remember, especially thinking like, because I I don't remember things like call of mine and stuff like that, but like I, I'm assuming that a lot of this plays into that same pattern. And as people get older and all we remember is negativity, we disengage from it unless it's something like strikes a chord with us. So it's like they can make money from us if, if they can push our buttons enough, but then we 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 give our engagement and then we tap out. We're not really holding them accountable for it. So it almost feels like the only other route and I cringe and I, I almost want to die a little bit. Um, it's a little ironic saying this on a podcast, but it, it almost feels like the only way out is alternative media kind of winning is podcasts, other new information sources, you know, streaming services, YouTube, that type of stuff being a more reliable source and a more consistent source for people's information and news. And, 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 and almost like, you know, tapping into capitalism as a way to win out in this scenario, because I just don't see a, a, another uh, practical route of holding giant corporations in the media accountable. But I could be wrong. I don't know. You remember before Trump, like Maddow used to have enough time in her week where she would do news dumps on the weekend and she would do cocktail moments and it would, and she was happy with that. I, mm-hmm. I, 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 I feel like of all the of all the people back to the one question we had about about the media of all of the people who are on 24 hour cable news I feel like Maddo's the only one that's not bored because she can go over and do her next like Spiro Agnew podcast like her brain's always rolling but um but it, it just to me I, I think back on a time when um when when you know we had those moments where there was time to do the positive and the negative there was time to explore things deeper and educate folks um and and I think four years of following, you know, watching a train wreck, a flaming train wreck, we, we just lost the ability to uh, consume that kind of information, I think. We being, not ever, not all us, of course, but. Well, I see it in myself too, I'll be completely honest. I do see my ability to process as much information has gone way <laughs> down, but I see myself disengaging and I, and I want to like give myself space for that too because I'm disengaging for a reason because it's just too much like I can't handle it all the time for years just constantly being in it but I think a lot of people are in that same feeling which is why Twitter is so popular because you can just kind of hop in hop out 240 characters Mm -hmm. and that's the max you know I feel like there was to what you were saying Ivan about everything being all like doom and gloom there was there was a moment in 2008 for about 15 minutes after Mm -hmm. president obama was elected that the news coverage was wall to wall just it was all hope and it was all like it was you know we had taken this next step as a country and you know this this was when things were finally going to get better and then he was inaugurated and white america lost their fucking minds it yes. got real yeah. it became real for them mm-hmm. on the election i was like oh it's a dream it's wonderful oh cool yeah but once he took that oath and began governing and began you know 
um, pushing policies and things like that. They got scared, and 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 it it may was it justified or wasn't just justified? I don't know, but for some reason they did get scared, and I think reality set in for them that oh crap, we have a black president. What's going to mm-hmm. happen? All this crazy stuff that we are, we are known for or that's happened to the black community. Oh, are they going to do that to us now? Is he going to do that to us now? And they made themselves so scared that scared and made themselves stupid <laughs> to a certain extent. And all, all he wanted to do was just make this country better. All he wanted to do right. was give people health care. That's it. But that's I all over the world. I do remember. I remember that very clearly that when he was announced as the president, I, I was at a Prop 8 protest, I think, when I found out that, and it like, I, I wasn't able to actually vote, but like, I was like, we were ecstatic. And I remember that brief moment of like, oh my gosh, you know, someone, the first black person, someone that looks like my dad is president, like the first acknowledgement of like us being, you know, citizens, it felt like. And then that sharp turn of these, cover the coverages of like these tea party protests and stuff i will never it has burned in my memory seeing you know um him painted as like hitler him as a as a dummy being hanged and burned and i'm like this is the reaction of just holding public office just doing the same thing that you guys get to do that's the reaction and it and it's almost like it's a bittersweet thing because it's like oh there's that that moment of positivity but then it comes with such a hard like like whiplash of like holy shit like we can't have that like wow and it makes me feel like oh gosh i don't know if i want to engage in this 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 discourse with these people but you bring up a good point because i remember doing the the campaign where john mccain had to push back on some of his supporters saying that barack obama was an arab Mm -hmm. or that he just he wasn't from here he was going to bring jihad to america and so Mm -hmm. on and so forth and john mccain literally sat there and pushed back against them which pissed off some of those conservative voters, right. which put John McCain in, in, a, in a different light to them. Mm-hmm. And those things that occur and the media, I think they were trying to pull that out too. But I think this whole idea that we were getting our first black president overwhelmed that particular narrative. But as you said, once he got elected and we saw the Tea Party and we saw those effigies being home, um, the we we saw the attacks not only on on him but on his wife because she was going through it during the campaign like the the crap that they said about her like barack obama is better than me because i would have went started swinging on people Mm -hmm. and can we also add that president barack obama looks very good for 61 like he's Mm -hmm. glowing he's happy he's smiling and i think that's also what's pissing off people still to this day because we do all the stuff at him and he's never lost his nerve and he's still, you know, out here inspiring people. Um, but yeah, that whole, that shift happened like overnight right. with the way that people in the media also begin to frame things because again, somehow they got their marching orders. Now we need to start attacking him. And I think one thing that really made it, you know, clear to me was when um, McTurtle man, Mitch McConnell, said my only goal is to make him a one-term president and i feel like that was the rallying cry for people in the media to begin to turn on him and 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 tear him down 
and the tan suit was just the that was just the beginning yeah <laughs> you know he's gonna obstruct everything that he did everything that's exactly what he did and and then it led to this whole narrative about black people saying he didn't do enough for us he didn't do enough for right. black people well he couldn't because guess what right in the midterms people stayed home mm-hmm. and he was like look you all need to protect the change so we need to go out there and vote and right. we stood home and stayed home well i did not vote but many of us stayed home and mm-hmm. then republicans swept into power right. and obstructed everything so of course he couldn't do it all because guess what every time he tried to put policies out there or initiatives it was shot down by by the gop first in the house because we had the 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 previous orange man the one that used to always cry um whatever his name was and then you Fainer. know that's it Fainer. Fainer. <laughs> Um, and then we had, you know, the Senate came a, a few years later, switching over to the Republicans. So really a lot of this, yeah, a lot of this is the fault of voters being disengaged and not going out there and putting in the work. Conservatives are going to go out and vote come hell or high water. Even if they don't get what they want immediately, they're going to keep going because they have an end game. For us, we have to have that immediate satisfaction. We're the microwave mentality where I need an instant. Instead yeah. of, you know, putting your leftovers in the oven, the quality is going to be a lot better <laughs> in that yeah. oven. But if you're hungry right now, you want to want that microwave that's still got some cold spots in the middle, uh, cold spots in the middle. So yeah. that's reflected yeah. today with this argument online about about student loan debt, debt relief. You know, it's like we want it now. We want it now. What about me? What about me? And it's like he's already relieved over 10 billion dollars or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> But, but they want it to happen right now. Well, he's had 11 months. Why isn't it done yet? And, and that's where I get absolutely irate. Tell Schumer and Warren to put a bill up. Exactly. <laughs> right well, see, here's, here's what's interesting um, since, since you brought that up. Um, Whip Clyburn is actually a co-author of a student debt relief bill with Senator Warren. He tweeted about the bill. Let everybody know about the bill. 15 minutes later, Senator Warren tweets that President Biden can eliminate student debt with the stroke of a pen. He can't. It's going to get overturned by the courts like the moratorium on evictions. Like it's ridiculous. And people say, well, he ran on this as a campaign promise. No, he he didn't. He ran on student loan debt relief. He said, if Congress gives me a bill, I will sign sign it. it. I will gladly sign it. That's what he said. He never said that. And honestly, you know, if there is a compromise there that people are unwilling to do, get rid of the interest. Just just, just get rid of the interest. (laughs) Thank you. Um, We'll be fine. Jose, didn't, didn't you do a video about the student debt relief recently? No, I did on the student debt relief. No, I don't believe I did. Did you? Okay, I'm just I'm making shit up now. Um, it's the cold medicine. I apologize. That means you should, Jose. <laughs> <laughs> but but I will say that it says on the on if you have a federal loan, um, I'm in the PSLF program. I'm very close to being finished because I did. I do my paperwork, I fill it out every year and I'm doing my service. I work for a state, a state age, you know, yes. universities are state. So it's service. And mm-hmm. um, um, the if you go to the page where, where you do all of your paperwork, it specifically says that Congress sets the interest rate. It is not the president. It says 
Congress will set the interest rate. So if they really want to do something that both parties, I think, could get behind, it would be at least taking it down to a percent where they could still make money off of it. Set it at zero. Just for the heck of it. Just set it at zero. It's been great the last two years. (laughs) And then those people, like, guess this this will, I should run for office for this. Mm -hmm. Set it at zero on all student loans and do it, you know, they can backdate it. Some people can get a check from the government. That's okay, that's why, yeah, uh, I had heard that floated before, which is surprising. I'd never really heard this floated by politicians, but like friends and I were talking about it and this came up. That's because I do understand the public trying to get the public to buy in when you've already had to sacrifice to pay your student loans. Like I totally get that. I understand that's a harder thing mm-hmm. to sell, but if you were to backdate the interest and pay people back all of that interest and they get a check from Thank the government, you. that's much easier to sell that, I think. Yeah. And it would shut up a certain subset of the left. Yeah. Yes. But I think, I don't, well, and I don't know if I can agree with that. I don't think they're ever. They're never going to shut up. It's another one. No, they're never, never going to shut up. I mean, it's, it's something for us for to shove in their face. It's frustrating for me because if I look at a, like a policy wise, I am very in line with a lot of progressives, but I constantly butt heads in this, this like, trying to come to like discuss the same reality where it's like well Obama didn't do enough well what would you have liked him to do you know so it's like well he should have pushed harder on ACA that should have been Medicare for all they took the public option out I'm like well they had two months of a supermajority, and the people that did back the ACA when Congress flipped you could point to a lot of the reasons why people lost their seat is because they did back the ACA mm-hmm. so they they literally took took you know sacrificed their seats for the ACA what else would he have been able to do at that time and also do you remember what it was like prior to the ACA you know it, it's so frustrating to hear people be like you know it doesn't the ACA is nothing doesn't do anything I'm not going to defend it it's like that's the reason people like me can afford healthcare. What do you mm-hmm. mean that's nothing? That's a huge thing. Um, but but that's where I get frustrated. It's like, even though I'm completely aligned with people, we'll be miles apart in terms of like what reality we're discussing and like what's actually feasible. And when we're in the the point of like, oh, you can use executive orders as like a messaging tool. <laughs> like, that's not how any of this works. I don't know how we can like come together on this. Uh, and to your point about the ACA, you know, the you can point to one person mm-hmm. why there is not a public option right and his name is joe lieberman mm-hmm. that is the reason there is not a public option in the aca and i think what frustrates me the most about that section of you know allegedly the people in our tent is that For them, politics didn't start until a certain senator ran for president. You know, never mind that, you know, we have 200 plus years of, you know, history and, you know, this this experiment of democracy, Mm -hmm. you know, for them, it's only in the last five years that this has mattered. But like for, you know, I personally have voted in every election for 20 years. Like this is, this is not a game to me. And some of, some of the people on the farther left spectrum 
treat it like a game. Um, there was there was a tweet a few days ago from a gentleman who said that he would never vote for a Democrat because they won't give him what he wants. Mm. And like, I, I, I can't with people like that. I won't with people like that. And then we have people like Booty Mouth Bree Bree out there, you know, blowing smoke up their butts and, and giving them, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Don't vote, hold your vote. Then you got that, that succubus, Susan Sarandon, who she's the reason why we got Bush because she pushed hard for Ralph Nader. Mm. She did, especially in many of those swing states. Like she, that, that thing there, <laughs> that thing right there is, is something else. And she only tends to come out when we're on the verge of making some type of progress, a progression, like even more progress. Like she came out, you know, in 2000 against Gore. Then she was sort of quiet in, um, in Obama's time when he was president because I think she didn't want to be labeled an outright racist. But I she think is. that's the only reason. And we know she is, you know. That's all, and, but then in 16, she came out hard again, mm -hmm. you know. So a lot of the progress that we could have made was started by people like her. And then she's reveling in the attention that she's getting to people clapping back on her. It, there's this narcissistic mindset of individuals like her that's just sickening. And I, it's those individuals that have stopped us from making progress. And I just get upset when I think about what we could have had, had Al Gore, you know, won the presidency. I think about what could have been had Jimmy Carter run re-election in 1980 against um, Ronald Reagan. You know, I, I just think about all the progress we could have made. And if Gore would have won, would we have had a President Barack Obama? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe someone else of color, a Black person, would have become president. I don't know. But I just think we, miss, we missed out on a lot. And then Hillary talking, doing her, you know, her victory speech that she would have read had she won, that just tore me up. So I, just, I was I was about to bring that up. Um, I couldn't watch it. <laughs> it... Ah. <laughs> I, I got about 30 seconds into it before I was, I was just a fucking wreck. Nope. Mm -mm. Um, for, for those who have not seen it, um, former secretary, presidential candidate, the rightful 45, um, is doing an episode of Masterclass. And in it, she reads parts of what would have been her victory speech had things gone differently um, five years ago. And it, it is an emotional train ride. Yeah. It's and she chokes up when she's reading it. Mm -hmm. I mean, which... and it's not, um, you know, which is definitely difficult for her because she's always, you know, I'm not in her mindset, but she's always, ha always has to be strong. Because, you know, the last time she cried, what was it? I, I think the last time I ever saw her cry was in Iowa like in yes. 2008, I think that's the last time, but I mean, you know, she has to be strong um, and just seeing her vulnerable like that. I, I did appreciate it. I, yeah. I did. Um, it was cathartic for me. Uh, yeah. I have never seen her concession speech. I, I can't bring myself to, to ever it. watch it. Um, it, but, but reading her, her reading her, what would have been her victory speech. Um, I definitely did um, appreciate that moment yeah. and with Stan Cole, she, uh, she did it.
what could have been <laughs> i watched um i don't i don't remember how this happened but i i think it may have been twitter like somebody shared um hillary's concession speech and then you know because sometimes the twitter timeline is magical um somebody also shared uh vice president harris's speech to her staff from that same night Mm -hmm. and it was like i was like holy shit like this is like though watching watching those two back to back really just kind of put the whole situation like the gravity of it all into context there um so the moving on to what is the next story that everyone is talking about right now um a 74 year old man was arrested in new york for threatening to shoot and bomb lgbtq groups and attack new york pride um in 2021 why is why is this still a thing and why did it take almost 10 years for this guy to be arrested i mean it kind of yeah yeah was it like he's he was doing that since 2013 is that what it said Mm -hmm. um it's insane i mean i'm not surprised that these people are still lurking in the shadows um and are making themselves known um, what I do want to know is what the people who are advocating for there to be no cops in Pride, how they're feeling about this, because, you know, the, these threats exist. There are people, you know, young and old who continue to feel a certain way about the um, about the community. And so, you know, why not have a security presence there um, with these very real threats uh, being in the background? You remember, I think it was 2019 where someone set off fireworks. Uh, I think it was New York Pride or it was either New York or San Francisco. And there were videos of, of the people just panicking and running. And I, I remember watching because they thought they were getting shot at. And I remember watching it and I was just sobbing at the at the panic. And, uh, you know, you know, being queer, it's just, you know, seeing this stuff come up over and over again. It's 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 uh, it's very triggering. Um, yeah especially being in Florida, you know, I was down here when Pulse happened. And uh, um, one of the things, I didn't know anybody that died or was injured in Pulse, but it was like six degrees of separation here. Um, If you were queer and you were in Florida, you knew somebody who knew somebody who was, who who got impacted negatively by that day. And so, um, yeah, I, I just, I, this, I'm with you on the security, but, and, and we're totally okay with having like, corporate sponsorships, like, you know, putting a whole contingent of Honda into, I know Columbus Gay Pride, my friends are, are up in Ohio. They were like, there, yeah, there were people that, that they just brought people in, gave them t-shirts and had them, you know, market for, for Honda or for whatever liquor. Um, but yeah, we have to keep the cops out, which cops aren't my favorite thing, but safety is important. It, it, like this whole idea about, you know, abolishing the police, but you will hire your own personal security detail to protect you, Corbin. Um, I, I, I just, it, the hypocrisy of it all. And I, I'm sorry, if, if something were to happen to my mom or she's in a place where she needs assistance, 
I want cops there to help her. You know, mm -hmm. if, if you know, I'm in education, and you know how it, being on a campus sometimes in the K through 12 school, we know what can occur. I need cops there to ensure that you know, if there's a school shooting, I need that to be dealt with by the by the cops. You know, I, we we need that protection there. I need cops to go in and arrest pedophiles and and child rapists and abusers. And, and, and murderers, you know, I, I need them to do that. Um, we need them at pride events to protect us from, you know, these lunatics mm -hmm. who are sometimes closeted and haven't quite dealt with their own, you know, <laughs> emotions or whatnot, or they have been um, indoctrinated with this radically evangelical mindset about, you know, homosexuality is a sin and you're going to hell. Well, so is eating shrimp. But we're not talking about that. Um, but we need to feel secure. And are there cops out there that are not out there doing the right thing? Yes, there are. Should they be dealt imagine, with? Yes, they should be. <laughs> imagine thinking that homosexuality is a sin, but like trying to build bombs and like kill a bunch of people. It's, it's like, we're it's not cool with God. Like, God loves God, that, God. you know. Yeah, but, God's totally chill with that. No cap. But if you kiss another man and you lay with him in the bed, oh yeah, God's going to condemn you for that one. No, stop it. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, and to your to your point about um, the police, you know, yes, we need the police to serve and protect, which is, you know, what they are supposed to do. Exactly. On the, on the flip side, should police be the you know primary people for welfare checks and no. you know who you call if someone is in a mental health crisis no absolutely no. not absolutely and, not and and that I, that i fully support but yes <laughs> to sit yeah. there and say abolish the police and i remember during the primary there was a young white man who was very calm as a cop you know a cab fuck the police da, 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 whatever whatever and then somebody went back through his timeline and found a tweet where he called the police on his neighbors <laughs> for smoking pot mm. is that the so, dude that used to airbrush his picture all the time no, this is somebody different. This is this oh, is okay. this is not this this is not Facetune. Um, okay. <laughs> it's but yeah. I need a hint. I need a hint. <laughs> but you know, and and they always say, well, we don't really mean to abolish the cops when we mean when we talk about abolishing the cops. Look up the word abolish in the dictionary. Yeah. If you That's have to explain your catchphrase, it's not a it's good one. Right. Thank you. you I mean, the abolitionist movement. To describe a hashtag. That's insane. You know, that's like the abolitionist movement saying, you know what? We don't really mean to abolish slavery, but we, we want to talk right. about, like, come on now. We just need more bathroom blades. It's like, <laughs> no, that, we know we what, know what abolish means. And like. And it muddies the entire conversation. And it again, does. it kind of like sets it back because it's like when we're talking about reforms and accountability and like qualified immunity and chokeholds, now we've got a bunch of people loud, loudly yelling about abolishing. And it's like, okay, well, what exactly is your guys' plan? And when you go down the rabbit hole of like abolish the police, okay, well, you know, what's next? Well, we do like community-driven policing. So, okay, how do we hold them accountable? Yes. How do we make sure that they're not abusing the same system? Do we give them weapons? 
all of the same questions come up, but it's like, okay, well, let's address it with the people that are there now, because you're going to have to address it in your new system anyway. So exactly. it's this, this grand utopian thinking of like, oh, if we just start clean, we're going to be able to do everything all from scratch and then face all of the same issues again anyway. And this idea that like, it, it, it's becoming a federal conversation when all of these things are like city by city, you know, like maybe county, but this is like city by city. So it's like, if you guys were really hyped that you wanted to abolish the police, go down to your city council and you Thank go you. yell, like yep. you have direct access to go do that in your community. Don't drag me into that because that's not what I'm, I'm trying to just hold people accountable. That's it. Like, I, I just need a reform to happen where if a cop were to do something that would kill someone without justification that instead of the taxpayers paying for that, that that comes out of their their pension plan, you right. know? And then right. guess what? Guess what's going to happen? Those other cops are going to start to hold those their fellow cops accountable because guess right. what? They don't want their retirement to be fucked with. Right. <laughs> so it needs to be incentivized to like do these types you. of things so that when you are next to a cop, you're not like, I'm not like tensing up like, oh God, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want, I want bad feeling to go away. I want to be yes. able to be around cops where, and I'm not worried about it. I, and I want to be able to like have something happen and me be like you know what if i call the cops they're actually going to show up and if they do show up they're actually going to do something like do the right thing we're trying to solve and there's there's people over here just trying to be as extreme as possible to get as many likes and like hot take points on twitter but i'm like you guys are completely muddying the conversation and what do you know we can't get anything done now because you skewed it now has that has that conversation has the volume been turned down on the conversation ever since minneapolis rejected it because um, I don't see it being discussed as much on Twitter as it used to be. I think it has, but campaign season hasn't started yet. Yeah. So I feel like it's going to come back up in the midterms and then always on camera is going to, you know, have some ads that play in Texas, though she's from New York. Um, <laughs> that's one too. <laughs> I will say that in as somebody, again, a Florida perspective here, I don't know if anybody else is in Florida, but I will say that, you know, in 2018, we, uh, we had pretty much a 50-50 show out for Democrats and Republicans. We had three recounts in, in mm-hmm. statewide, statewide races, but Biden lost by in 2020 by the margin that he did. And um, it was 24-7, the commercials about, you know, people calling and crying for the police. Well, the police aren't here. It was like really, really um, extreme advertising they did about, you know, abolish the police. Um, second about Florida, I would just say in terms of um, community-based policing, I think the biggest argument against that is George Zimmerman, Ugh. who was on, you <laughs> yeah. know, his like citizen watch or, or you know, neighborhood watch and, and shot Trayvon. So, you know, I, these are the things we need to throw back in their face when when they when this stuff pops back up. Exactly. Oh, well, and it's Oof. it's important, like, don't. If you say abolish the police, abolish prison, you know, mm-hmm. people are going to have a very visceral mm-hmm. reaction to that because it's terrifying, you know, and it's it's like the whole gun control conversation. Mm-hmm. What I've noticed, and I've I've tried this in conversations with family members who are very pro second amendment i love my guns more than i love my wife type thing um Hmm. if you say gun control they have a knee-jerk reaction to that if you say we need gun control laws but if you approach them 
and say, you know, what we're advocating for is smarter gun safety laws. Mm-hmm. They don't automatically try to fight you on that because they, you know, they don't want you to control them. But at the same time, if you say it's a safety thing, they don't want to come across as reckless, if that makes sense. Verbiage is in everything, you know, word choice is everything. And up tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it keeps coming up tonight. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you, you have to be very careful with the words that you use <laughs> because people, some words are emotional. Like when you think of the word control, you think that someone's going to actually dictate to you everything that you can do. I mean, Janet Jackson had a whole album, <laughs> you know, <laughs> shout out to Janet. Justin Timberlake did you dirty, but, um, but you know, we, we have to be very careful with the, with the language that we use when we're talking about reforms and when we're talking about, you know, holding people accountable and, and, you know, abolishing prisons, my father's in prison, you know, and as much, and I would love for him to come home, but, the crime that he committed, he deserved to go to prison for that crime. You know, he's been in there for 36 years, 37 years. You know, has he learned his lesson? Yes. You know, should he get out at some point? I believe so. But again, with someone that has a family member in the prison system, I do not want prisons abolished because they're needed for people that do things that want them to be locked up. I, I, child molesters yeah. need to be locked up. <laughs> Yeah. Period. <laughs> and I think it, it, it feels like there's a, these two areas. One where Twitter conversations have somehow keep leaking into reality, but it's mm-hmm. it's not not enough to where like the main average person understand like the severity of it, but people want the most extreme take. So they go as far as they can. So it becomes abolished and yes. instead of just like reforming. But then the second thing is I, I really don't like how because of that we're we're getting uh, we're normalizing conversations about policy that are just about tearing things down instead of actually fixing problems. So like, you know, uh, making college free, like this is one thing where I always kind of contradict a lot of people, even though I'm buried in student loan debt. And so is a lot of my family. But my, my thing is, is like, why are we focusing on college when K-12 is in shambles? Like Thank you shouldn't you. have to go to college. If we had a real K-12 system, you should be able to leave K-12 with what it was set up for in the beginning, which was to get you ready for society and the, like the workforce, we shouldn't have to go to college. What that means that you make college free is that if you live in an area that has a really healthy K-12 school, or you live in a family that has tutors and all that, well, you guys don't have to go to college. You can, you can opt in or out, but if you go to a poor area, you just basically have four more years of schooling in order to just be on the same level. So I don't like how everything has shifted now. Instead of, we're in a society where we don't want to fix problems anymore. We just want to tear everything down and then hope that some magical thing is going to come in and, and make it all better afterwards. And that's just not ever going to happen. It's the same thing with like, just, we'll tear down the police system. And then what? Well, uh, we'll t- tear down the prisons. And then what? And what? Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, so it's almost like we don't even want to have conversations about fixing problems. It's just like, there's going to be a, a whatever it is in their head, a class uprising, a rebel, whatever it is. And then somehow the next day, everything is going to be better. And it's just not how any society has ever functioned. And it's very frustrating to constantly have to talk that level of discourse because it's not real. Fixing did, did problems this is hard. That's why they don't want to do it. Like mm-hmm. fixing right? is hard work. Mm-hmm. 
and they don't want to work. They just want a magic wand to be waved and it just to be something brand new. Right. Or they want uh, the points of being like, I support this. They want their bumper yes. sticker. They don't actually want so they to want address to put in the work. The mm-hmm. issue. Yeah. Exactly. Did, did this all start with Occupy, Occupy Wall Street? I feel yep. like we didn't we didn't have to deal with any of this shit until that Occupy <laughs> movement started. Am I misremembering? Yeah. No, well, I that's think you're I mean, absolutely that right. right. When Twitter you're was right. taking off too, so mm-hmm. I think there's probably like they yeah. were kind of feeding into each other too. Yeah, and the Nate. I mean, I mean, I guess you can also take it back to Nader too. Yeah, um, yes. in two thousand. Um, <laughs> that's really like the first time I saw it happening. Uh, but, you know, before that, I don't know. I wasn't really paying that close attention back then. Damn you, Susan Sarandon. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, we could probably be dealing with climate change now if we would have had the guy who's been talking about climate change since college. Um, yeah. That was the whole, yeah, right. whole thing. He had a professor in, co- in undergrad who, mm-hmm. who the Keeling scale and all that. Um, you know, we, we, we wouldn't be probably talking about some of the things we're talking about now if we had gore. Or if yeah. we would have gotten, you mentioned this earlier, Carter, if we would have yes. here for another, would so many gay people have died from the AIDS crisis? Exactly. Dick, like homophobic dick. So yeah, I'm with you on that frustration. And you know who radicalized, radicalized, I probably didn't say it right, I'm sleepy, who made Reagan radical was that big headed Nancy and her oh, family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that, that thing was evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But that, yeah. that's the power of it. That's the power of the pocketbook, and I'm not talking about the one you put money in. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, but I wouldn't know nothing about that because I've never Na- nature know. nature's pocket. <laughs> Nature. <laughs> so our next round is called "Can You Believe." Uh, we polled five thousand people to get their responses to these questions. The first is. Do you put your holiday decorations up before the 1st of December? Yes or no? What do you think they said? Yes, especially this year. I think people were putting their Christmas decorations up after 4th of July. (laughs) (laughs) I want to say yes. I'm going to say yes. My neighbor across the street has Merry Christmas sign with Jesus duct tape all over the garage. Jesus in duct tape? I don't know. That Jesus in duct tape. It feels a little, feels a little blasphemous to me. I'm not a Christian, but it doesn't sit right with me. Jesus yeah, in duct tape. It didn't. Like, <laughs> yeah. Duct tape fixes everything, right? <laughs> yeah. When, when I go get my coffee in the morning and I see that, all I'm thinking is like, oh, Jesus. We, like, that's we, how I read it. We need a picture of that. <laughs> so I'll get I mean, it. I'll get was, it. Did the Romans duct tape Christ? To the cross on your, that's, at the crucifixion. That's a different story. That's a different story. <laughs> I'm gonna have to. I wonder which version of the Bible that's interesting. So, uh, 68.42% of people do in fact put their holiday decorations up before the first of December. I believe it. Christmas decorations mm-hmm. are available in Target on, you know, like August 1st, right next to the school supplies. Yep. <laughs> and I feel like I'm all. Do I oh, go ahead? I was just going to say, I was just going to say I'm all packed up. So I have no Christmas decorations at all. Oh. I guess I'll go 
get a roll of duct tape and like put Rudolph on right, Rudolph on my garage. <laughs> What's funny is the target near me, uh, like usually at back to school time, they do like they've got all the back to school stuff in the seasonal section. And then there's an aisle where they start to like trickle out the holiday stuff. And then there's a little corner where the early Christmas stuff sits. This yeah. year, there was a little corner of school supplies, a single booth of Halloween, and then fucking Christmas for 75 <laughs> miles in the back of the goddamn Target. That was insane. What is this war on Christmas? If there's a war on Christmas, holy shit, like this is the worst army I've ever seen because people are losing miserably. If you guys are trying to take down Christmas, it's, you're not, it's not working. You know? Christmas is winning. Ask my wallet. (laughs) So we polled 5,000 people uh, and wanted to know if they believed that the squad should be primaried for their infrastructure votes. Yes or no? Yes. 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 Absolutely. Bye. That's that's (laughs) one of many reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could have stopped that. Should be primaried. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I added the infrastructure because it was it was relevant to the conversations <laughs> that were being had. Um, this one, this one was was a blowout. Um, Ninety four point two one percent of people polled believed that yes in fact the squad Ooh. should be primaried for mm-hmm. the infrastructure vote um absolutely the one that they are bragging about even though they voted no on mm-hmm. about, mm-hmm. look at all the good things i brought back for you Alpha, you voted no on it while you was eating oreo cookies you know the capital steps i mean come on and then when their supporters try to draw a distinction between their no or their nay versus a Republican nay. It's like there are no asterisks and yes. no nay. It's you voted. If you're explaining. Voted. You're losing. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and Republicans were more than happy to see progressives vote against it. Yes. Um, so yep. you're you're not helping anybody. You're not helping your case. They they absolutely deserve to be primaried for that because that was. I mean, they could have not voted. I mean, we would still be dragging them for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, to vote nay, that was stupid and then the, the dumbest shit i've seen the but AOC i feel like is arguing about it like on twitter like she, didn't she go on instagram and live and got ate up by people so she stopped on there then she went on twitter to justify her no vote yet again yeah she did she did like a 76 minute instagram live trying to explain i'm like how are you 76 minutes to explain why you voted against it to say, Oh, but I wanted more. Okay. But more wasn't on the table. Thank you. What was on the yeah. table was a thing you voted against and you voted against it. Well, and I think if, if, if you're going to do like the whole, well, my vote was symbolic. You should have voted present. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that's, that's an option you have. And then you can mm-hmm. then you can say, you know, look, I voted present. This is why, you know, because then you're not on record as being oh. against this now law 
because you know we're we're headed into midterm season those ads are gonna start coming yes. now you're a commercial yep they about to light their asses up yep. <laughs> and deservedly so on both sides yes <laughs> like you're about to get lit up mm-hmm. if 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 they thought sam's style was getting lit up by the k-hive <laughs> wait, till the, wait till those ads start playing and that Corey Bush, I think she's out of there. I think she's, I think she's going to be successfully primary. One and done, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think that Rashida Talib, mm-hmm. I think she she may also be done. The only one that may be safe is Ayanna Presley. Mm-hmm. That's the only one that may be safe. She's um, reasonable sometimes, right? But she's just been doing stupid stuff lately. Like, come on, like. Ma'am, like really? Because I was rooting for her. We were all yeah. rooting for yeah. you. I was rooting for you. <laughs> yeah. How I dare you? Feel like How dare you? <laughs> um, we are going to see Ayanna Presley primary a Massachusetts senator in the next couple of years. You think it's um twenty three Mima? Yep. Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like that's where I feel like that's where this is headed. I I can see that, mm-hmm. and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And she would get her mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I don't think Warren is really liked that well in Massachusetts. Third place. Oh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I in 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 my head the way that the way that I've justified what I just said is that. Ayanna Presley will will primary um, a Massachusetts senator, um, and we will get uh, JK three back in Congress. Mm-hmm. I like that, is, that. that is just what I'm what I'm thinking. Um, we polled five thousand people to find out if they believe that, or if they believe that Democrats should stop talking about race to appease right-leaning white voters, yes or no, what did they say? Nope. Nope. No. I don't think they should. I don't know who who the poll surveyed because that that could be, if I'm predicting what they said, I don't have, I don't know. It depends who was polled, but I think no. Um, I think that's a, it's a losing, issue and unfortunately like we've been talking about like the conversation's been warped so much that there's a lot of ground to gain back in terms of like getting on the same page about what we're talking about Mm -hmm. but we can't keep just just uh doing policy and having discussions within the comfort zone of a smaller and smaller sect of society and it's it's ironic because it's like that's kind of the accusation about like the black community and the queer community and immigrants it's like well you know you guys are a smaller sect of the population and everything is so pc around our feelings, but it's really that the, the main narrative is completely cushioned around what fragility might be triggered in the conversation. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's a sustainable way to go about it, especially as people are more and more comfortable being out as, as POC populations are just getting bigger and bigger and immigrant, immigrant populations are growing. It's mm-hmm. not a sustainable way to constantly just sweep these things under the rugs, especially if you're trying to get people to re-engage with conversations. You should be able to do both. Now, can they do both? I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's that's where I get hesitant because I feel like there are very few politicians that can really bring mm-hmm. out, can have effective conversations on both sides 
really with a lot of nuance and connect them intersectionally and bring it all home and make everyone feel heard and seen. I don't think a lot of politicians can do that right, but that's a question. That's more of a question of like putting the right people up for election, not just like the conversation doesn't need to change. We need to get the right people to, to relay the message. Well, I can tell yeah. you that 99.94% of the people that we polled believe that no, Democrats should not stop talking about race to oppose right-leaning white voters. So. Excellent. I would hope you would get the same response of, you know, I'm not, I'm not diverting. I, I think race is very important, but, you know, I think abortion is really coming up right now. I'd be interested in seeing you poll that question as well. Um, you know, I think we're, we're pretty united in like, you know, race in general is very important to the party and, and talking about it, educating, considering it in our policy, all that stuff. Um, but we do have that weird thing with the Democrats where it's like, well, you know, I'm Catholic. I don't know that I support abortion. Um, I would just, I, I'm just throwing it out there. So I, I, I'd be really interested in hearing the results of that, of that poll as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think as the blue the blueprint is there for politicians when I, I, I'm old enough to remember in 2004 when Gavin Newsom started marrying people in San Francisco and mm -hmm. national Democrats were furious that, oh, my God, you're going to ruin the election for us. People aren't ready. The American public isn't ready. They're not ready. And he was like, they will never be ready. We'll never be ready enough mm -hmm. for someone to feel super comfortable with anything progressive that we're trying to to really move the needle on and if i can do one thing to help somebody in this community my community then i'm going to do it and that's the right thing to do and yes it took a long time and it took a lot of court battles and you know states with their constitutional amendments and all of that stuff but finally we got to the point where we have marriage equality this guy didn't fall uh, and mm -hmm. we had a, a politician who was willing to stick their neck out for a cause that wasn't necessarily related to their life, but just for the betterment of their community. And I think that's, that's the blueprint for continuing these conversations in the face of, oh, people aren't ready yet. No, they'll never be yeah. ready. Yeah. yeah. And I think it kind of highlights <clears throat> part of the concern is I don't think there's a lot of politicians that are willing to take risks no. like that. No. And there should be more, I mean, by all means, but it's almost like politicians are so worried about maintaining their power or mm -hmm. maintaining their seat that they're not willing to do what's right, even if it's presented in front of them. And I think if you see things that are like, okay, what actions can you take? I think you'll probably have a lot easier time asking for forgiveness and, and taking that risk than trying to get everyone bought on to like making these changes because you're just constantly going to be arguing rhetoric and narratives and high level conversations when you don't even really know like what the policy is that you're putting, like you're trying to act on. So if you just act on the policy to help people from the ground up, then then you make positive change and it kind of reinforces itself. Because even when Prop 8 came out after um, or when it was passed, like it, it was not like we were not that was not going to just be left alone. Like because I remember my parents got married right before. And and when that passed, it was like this is not going to fly in California. I don't, I don't even like, we knew it wasn't going to fly. So it's like, if you can get people help, it's almost like the whole thing where it's like, when you give people 
um, like a social safety net or if you give people something, it's hard to take it away from them. So yes. if you can help people, it's a lot harder to like take that back away from them. So if you could start with helping people, but I don't know if many people, politicians are willing to take those types of risks. That goes back to your comments about ACA. How many, mm-hmm. how many Democrats lost their mm-hmm. because of taking a stand for, for the healthcare? Um, right. We don't see that kind of, I, it, it sucks to call it like almost heroism at this point because he's <laughs> really doing what they're just supposed to do. The bare minimum is hero- right. heroic. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but you're, absolutely, you're absolutely correct there. So the final round in the show is called This Is Not Not an Endorsement. Um, <laughs> each of the panelists have chosen someone who they believe deserves their endorsement this month. So, Jose, kick us off. Who are you endorsing? Oh, man, I was not ready for this segment. Can you come back to me after? <laughs> <laughs> I am like the king of being unprepared <laughs> or the queen, whichever one you prefer. <laughs> Ivan. Who gets your endorsement this month, sir? Uh, Raphael Warnock. Excellent choice. Dia? Um, this is totally, you know, a little more specific to the area, but Nikki Freed, I'm just, yes. if, if we don't get rid, if we don't get rid of our governor, we're not going to have much left in the state. In the past couple of weeks, he's advocated um, starting his own militia. National Guard militia that doesn't have to answer to Washington. There's evidence coming out at my current employment place. <laughs> Hopefully, I still have it after this. Um, that you know, people are afraid. They're anticipating his his reaction before they you know make make their decisions about how we name classes or whether or not we delete data about COVID. Um, and, and and just so. Uh, I think the other thing that came out today was talking about money. They're actually putting money into mitigating some of the rising sea level um, concerns with climate change, but he didn't want to get into all that liberal nonsense. So um, Nikki Freed is really out of the Democrats um, that's really uh, started talking about, you know, what she would bring to the state. I think um, she's really the one. Charlie Crist is also running with a Republican. Now he's a Democrat. He might have a better chance because of that, but um, I just would prefer to have someone new and female uh, in Tallahassee. Mike, who gets your endorsement this month, sir? Well, I think it'd be, it'd be hard to go uh, this week without endorsing or one of us endorsing Stacey Abrams. Uh, Cause I think talk about uh, an important figure in uh, key to many successes the Democrats have had, it's 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 her turn. Um, uh, so I I would say my endorsement this this month would be Stacey Abrams. Right on, Brandon. Well, since I'm from the great state of Texas, I have to throw my support behind Beto O'Rourke. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know I, I think I think he took a page out of Stacey Abrams' book by traveling the state and getting people in the rural areas register, registered to vote. Um, I'm excited about his candidacy. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of good energy behind him. He's still traveling the state, going from city to city, town to town, hosting rallies. He has, um, Governor Abbott shook <laughs> and he's, you know, he's, he's worried that he's tweeting about him. Um, but I, I think that if we could, if we can get O'Rourke across the finish line, I think um, that will change the trajectory of Texas, 
which will also change the trajectory of our country. Mm-hmm. Um, if we want to talk about saving democracy, it will be very interesting if the Democrats' House majorities are saved because of Texas, um, with the coattails that Beto O'Rourke may actually bring, because he's popular down there in the Valley, mm-hmm. you know, West Texas, and all that good stuff. So, Beto, you get my endorsement this month. Mm-hmm. All right, Jose, who you got? Okay, who I have is a non-politician. Um, so it is uh, Julia Carey Wong. She is a technology reporter for The Guardian, and she wrote that piece yesterday that countered Sam Stein, or the Politico's uh, Kamala Harris uh, wears wired headphones piece. And the reason she is receiving my endorsement is because of something she wrote in her article, um, which really drags them through the mud, where she says, none of the three reporters bylined on the piece responded to my query about whether they had consulted any security researchers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that is just an that. amazing, amazing yeah. way to sit, to call them out on their bullshit. So, um, so she gets my endorsement for the month. Those are all excellent endorsements. Um, I have two endorsements this month. Uh, the first is a non-politician. It is somebody who works more um, behind the scenes, uh, but who has done some really fantastic work through um, strategy and fundraising. Uh, My first endorsement goes to Anthony Mercurio. Uh, He does excellent work. If you don't know him, uh, you, you know his work. Um, And my second endorsement this month uh, because she has, they have attempted to drag her down and she continues to rise. I am endorsing the vice president of the United States, Kamala. Yes. Yes. Um, the future president of the United States. Mm Mm-hmm. So we have reached the end of the show. Uh, I would like to thank my panelists and I would also like to open up the floor to all of you to uh, plug anything you've got coming up that you think people should be on the lookout for or if you would like to drop your social media handles uh, so the kids at home can follow you. Oh, well, my social media handle is Ordinary Brother, brother, um, brother with an A, not an E-R. And also my birthday is Sunday, so Ooh. I'm excited. Happy, I'm, happy I will birthday. Be, I will be 37, yay. Happy birthday. Thank mm-hmm. you. What are you I doing? Am, okay. I don't know yet. I'll figure it out. <laughs> that was a long answer. The answer is alcohol. The answer is always alcohol. <laughs> I think I'm the only one that brought a cocktail to this party. <laughs> yeah, I, w- <laughs> I was about to duck out and take the whole wine bottle, but I was like, I don't. I, don't, I think that's a little too much for me. <laughs> Anybody? I'll else? drop my handle. Um, it's at Jose. Can you see with an underscore? And I have something to plug, but that's going to be after the podcast. Oh, <laughs> oh shit! Oh. I hate you, my dumbass. I was like, "Oh, he's going to tell us first before he announces it." Good for him. <laughs> Why are you like this? <laughs> that's a very elaborate way to plug your OnlyFans, by the way. Uh, my ad is Ivan Lee G on L E E G E E on Twitter and Instagram. 
Mine is Mike W71772, which the numbers are my birthday, which yes, means I will be 50 next year. So send your, your thoughts and prayers. <laughs> Look good, Mike. Yeah. And I'm uh, at uh, F-E clad, F-E underscore C-L-A-D. Uh, and the only thing I have to plug is uh, for if, if any of the people listening to this are soccer fans, um, Sam Kerr was in a match today where a fan jumped onto the, uh, came onto the pitch, uh, tried to get a selfie with another one of the players and she fucking clogged this guy. She's jumped up and knocked his ass down and then she got a yellow card. So there are videos and it's amazing. Nice. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all so much for being here. Uh, and we will see y'all next month with a whole new panel and a whole new mess to talk about. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like and subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. To get in touch with the show, email us at notanendorsement at gmail.com. This is not an endorsement, is a Spring Break 83 production.